At a time when the IPAs are hazy or dry and pastry stouts polarize, there's a small brewery outside of Battle Creek, in Springfield to be exact, that is excelling at a style that seems all but forgotten these days. And to appreciate where Territorial Brewing Company is going... There were times where, because some of the days are, are pretty long, yeah. and there were lots of times where we had yeah, servers coming in for a dinner shift, and, and we have hoses all over the floor, and they're trying to get through... Uh, it's definitely a hazard and nightmare that, uh, that we're happy we don't have to deal with anymore. You first have to understand where they've been. We opened up about three and a half years ago, uh, about a quarter mile from here at our restaurant. We were actually brewing in the restaurant space, in the kitchen. Uh, it's extremely cramped, and we've maxed out our production, uh, especially because we do uh, a lager-heavy focus. Uh, so brewing lagers takes more time more time in the tanks, meaning you need more tank space in order to make more beer. Uh, so we knew we needed to, to expand, so we moved all of our brewing operations down here. Hi, my name is Ryan Hermes, host of the Hop and Vine Cast, which is produced on behalf of the Michigan Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. And this is Tim Davis, head of brewing operations and co-owner of Territorial Brewing Company. Today we learn about Territorial Brewing Company, its lager respecting owners, Frankenbrew Systems, their local distributor, Atlas Sales, and how, for the first several years of existence, Territorial's brewery shared space with its restaurant kitchen, a very tight space. But before we get to that claustrophobic journey, let's talk about the low ABV-ish elephant in the room. Why lagers? I know that's your focus. Why, why that style? Well, when I was homebrewing, and especially when Charles finally started homebrewing with me, um, at first it was just about trying to just make beer and then trying to make the highest quality beer you can. And then eventually I shifted my focus more towards brewing beers that I can't necessarily find uh, and beers that I can't necessarily find at high quality. So um, a lot of the, the European lagers, the continental European lagers, are beers that when we're getting them here, they, we have no idea what condition those bottles have been in for the, the transit across the Atlantic Ocean. And, uh, and so to get the highest quality, freshest we could, we had to start brewing it ourselves. And I, at first it was just kind of uh, something that I was interested in, and then it became uh, an obsession and then an absolute passion for lagers. So the reason we're, we brew so many lagers is because that's what we really like, what we love to, love to make. So it's a following our passion. Knowing how, how craft beer trends have, have changed so much over the last, probably just significantly in the last couple of years, is it weird to stand here in 2018 and say, wow, it's hard to find a good quality lager when, you know, a decade ago, everybody was doing a lager? It, it is. And, um, and we're definitely going against the grain, especially it, it, as far as the Michigan beer scene goes. Um, there's been a lot more trend nationwide towards more high-quality lagers, these lighter lagers, um, stronger lagers. There's just as much variety in lager brewing as there is in ale brewing. And uh, the biggest reason I think that craft brewers don't focus on lagers is because it takes more time. It takes more, more equipment. You have to have more fermenters in order to do more lagers. And so you don't have the quick turnaround. So really it's, it's also, it comes down to being more expensive because it's taking more time, more time away that we could be just pumping out IPAs as fast as we wanted to. So yeah, talk, talk to me about the process of making a lager. Why does it take longer for, for that beer to be a finished product than other styles? Well, lagering, uh, lager beers are, are brewed with a different strain of, different strains of brewer's yeast 
the lager yeasts actually uh, do their best work at colder temperatures. And because they're fermented at colder temperatures, it also takes longer for the fermentation to, to complete. It's not as vigorous of a fermentation. And then once the beer's done lagering, or once the beer's done fermenting, you have to lager it, which it means to store it at a colder temperature. Uh, in part because of the less vigorous fermentation, a lot of uh, some of the off flavors that uh, the volatile aromas that get pushed out of an, an ale through vigorous fermentation, like the sulfur smells, um, they take a longer time for, for the yeast to do the work and clean up these beers. And, uh, and also a lot of lagers are um, a little more um, tamed as far as the, uh, the complexities. You can have a lot of complexity still in this beer, but because you're not dealing with uh, as many strong flavors in a lot of the styles, like our, our Pilsner, does not, it's not extremely hop forward. So there's nothing to really hide the off flavors. And uh, so it takes even longer just to make sure that the product that we're putting out is the best possible. Yeah, I was actually, that dovetails into my next question. I was, I was going to ask, is there less room for error? You know, and when you're talking about a, a big imperial stout, things can be hidden by higher alcohol content or things can be hidden by aggressive hopping. But when you're talking about a lager, it seems like you don't have much wiggle room to have something go wrong. Um, it, more so with lagers than ales, there's definitely some lighter ale, ale styles that are very, very hard to, to hide any imperfections. IPAs are one that it's very easy to find a delicious IPA that has some flaws that are, are hidden by it. Um, but with lagers, yeah, more so, more of the traditional lager styles are lighter. Our um, Hellas lager is, we call it, say it's like going to a party naked. There's no way to hide anything. Uh, and we make a, a light American lager now, too, um, which we're actually, actually extremely proud of just with the equipment that we do to kind of, of ape and mimic the, uh, the, the big macro breweries and what they're doing and doing the, um, through our own innovative processes, doing what they're doing, but with, you know, much more limited equipment. I was homebrewing for about 10 years before we got started. And uh, we got uh, connected with our mentor, Tom Hennessy in Ridgeway, Colorado. Um, I think now he's in Montrose, Colorado. He just opened his eighth brewery. He's kind of a brewery startup guru and went out and brewed with Tom and went through a, a simple course with him. And he basically taught us that you don't have to be a millionaire to open a brewery. You can start it on a shoestring. So he really started what we call the Frankenbrew movement, Frankenbrewing, uh, which is using equipment from other industries that might not necessarily have been intended to be used for making beer and then using that and basically doing everything, doing as much as you can with as little as you can and still trying to focus on, on quality of your product too at the same time. For our mashed lauder ton, we use, uh, it's an old dairy tank that uh, I found in, out in a field outside of Pulaski, Wisconsin and loaded it up on a U-Haul trailer in the middle of a snowstorm and drove it all the way back to Michigan. And our, our fermenters, our first four fermenters are actually Croatian-made white wine fermenters. They're called Latinas. And uh, you see them quite often in, in wineries. Not the best for beer, but they, they work. There's a trade-off. It takes a little more labor, um, a little more uh, difficult as far as focusing on uh, just the, how to use it for making beer. So these can't hold any pressure, so everything has to go through a pump. Uh, 
they don't have any insulation. They do have a cooling jacket so we can control the temperature of the fermentation, but we had to wrap it, the cooling jacket with a water heater blanket and wrap the whole fermenter with uh, radiant barrier insulation to try and keep, back then to keep the kitchen heat off because it was right next to the hot side of the kitchen and right across from our boil kettle. Um, our boil kettle is actually made for brewing, but it's a very inexpensive kettle um, for the time. And that was made in Ridgeway, Colorado, actually by a company called Forgeworks. Then it was Bennett Forgeworks. That's one of our pieces of equipment that was actually made for brewing. <laughs> but we use yeah, poultry feed, uh, a poultry feed auger for moving our, our milled grain, our grist. And um, our mill was built by a guy in his garage in Kennewick, Washington. And um, our grant is an old uh, quarter barrel keg that was decommissioned from Labatt. So clear your mind of that last brewery tour you went on with those shiny bright tanks. Instead, imagine this hodgepodge of equipment that's not usually used for brewing beer, but is now being used to brew beer. Now think about a restaurant kitchen. Kind of hard, right? Here, let me help. Shannon, right outside what used to be my office, uh, it's, this is still our, our, our office for the restaurant. And we have all these, this very substantial shelving up here that's mostly got uh, to-go cups and other uh, consumables. Uh, but this is where we used to warehouse our grain. We could store about 3,000 pounds of malt in 50 and 55 pound bags up over my head while I was working. I was always the one to make sure they were stacked right and not going to fall on me. But this room used to smell absolutely amazing. It just smelled like malt. Um, and that's the old an old piano that I converted into a desk that just happens to fit in here. I was going to say, you can stand in there and almost touch each wall if you, you stretch your arms out. You absolutely can. And, yeah, there's not a lot of room. Uh, you can't just back up from the chair, stand up, and walk out. You have to push the chair back around the corner in order to even uh, to move out of there. And there's no window. And I used to be in there for sometimes, yeah, like 8 to 10 hours a day, having to come out just to see if it was still daylight out. It was... Uh, yeah, it was awful. I love having a window in my office now. Uh, this room, this is our walk-in cooler. So um, you saw the those eight serving tanks that are that I just said that we just put up for sale. Yeah, we had all of those in here. Um, so there was it was a narrow corridor to get between two tanks into a space in the middle, and you could touch both tanks here and we had to keep all of our our food in here as well we didn't have room for shelves uh we had to have shelves on on wheels just a small set that we could barely fit through the gap and now we changed over so everything's in kegs which is another challenge for us because now we have to every day because we don't have still have a huge amount of room in here for beer inventory so every day we're uh bringing kegs from the from the brewery down here to the restaurant and stacking them up in here and uh, and then yeah every two weeks cleaning all the all the draft lines and uh, I, I just can't imagine after seeing those tanks how they fit in this room and you stored food in here too yeah we didn't weren't able to store very much food so that's actually one way we're able to operate our kitchen more efficiently we're able to to prep more things like uh like pastas and uh and prep our our fries and able to keep more bread on hand um it makes our makes it so our kitchen can operate much more efficiently than it did before we had to build the walk-in cooler around the tanks when we installed them and 
so to get those out of here, we actually had to close down for a day. Uh, we're normally closed on, on Monday, so we closed down on a Sunday as well and had to actually dismantle part of the walk-in cooler in order to get those the serving tanks out of here. It was a big operation. So the fermenters used to be along this wall. This freezer was over here. Now we actually have room for a larger oven, uh, doing, more, doing more baking. I don't know if you like that, Chef. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we have, we have we actually have room for dry store dry goods storage. And so it's fermenters right here, and the walkway was about this wide between them. Uh, the kettle used to sit right here. Uh, this was right where the the drain came out of the kettle into the the floor drain there, and then the mash water tun right next to it, and then the hot liquor tank and mill over here. So this is all space that I'm walking through right now that we couldn't even stand in uh, six months ago. And the mill used to stick out all the way to, to here. So we had quite a bottleneck through here. Um, so now we have more space. Like I said, we have more dry goods storage. We have enough space, more space for prep. Uh, we have more space where we can actually start expanding into, into more catering, which we've always had a demand for catering. We've always been able to do only a very small amount, and now we can do more of that including catering in the, the Sternevert at the, the brewery a quarter mile down the road. So yeah, it was incredibly, incredibly cramped in here. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, this isn't like a huge space to begin with. No. So to, to imagine all of these tanks and all of this equipment just pinned up against the wall and having to shimmy past, it seems, most times. The, the best description I ever heard, and I also took it as a huge compliment, we actually had uh, a retired Navy sub submariner in here, and he said the only time he had ever seen more efficient use of space was in a U.S. Navy submarine. <laughs> and I think that was about right, but I was also also extremely proud of that. Um, it, was, it was difficult when we were building it, because uh, I had the whole design basically in my head and the whole layout. And Charles, we kept getting more and more equipment in it to install. And Charles kept going, how are we going to fit this? How are we going to fit this? And I said, trust me, it'll work. It'll work. And it worked, but just barely, just barely. So we had, um, at first it was no problem because we were, uh, you know, still new, still growing. Uh, but eventually got to the point where we could only, the most beer we could produce is about 400 barrels a year. Um, not 400 barrels like sellable, like, but actually produce 400 barrels a year. We you know, have quite a bit of uh, loss um, when it comes to uh, uh, kegging our beer and packaging it, even putting it in the serving tanks. Um, but we got to the point that we were actually selling more beer than we could produce. And that's when we absolutely had to expand. So I mean, people talk about good problems. It's a good problem to have. To, to be selling beer faster than you can make it, but it's also, it's a problem. Good problems are only good compared to bad problems. And expand they did, just down the road. Yeah, I, I actually couldn't help but notice on the wall the, the artwork. Did you guys inherit that, or is that your, your work? We, we inherited it. So the last tenant that was in here um, with the previous owner was uh, Hot Rods and Handlebars. They do motorcycle customization. Uh, they're still in business. They're still doing really well. They moved to... Uh, Dickman Road here in in Springfield, and uh, they did all this these awesome murals and airbrush graffiti in here that we absolutely love. And we uh, 
we cry a little bit when we have to cover something up with, <laughs> with more equipment. And uh, but no, like it's, it's really cool. It's one of the things that adds a really cool ambiance in here, makes it fun. In the future, where we're standing, this will be where our future brew house will be. Um, in the next few years, we plan to expand into a multi-vessel, 15-barrel brew house that'll, where we'll be able to do multi-turn batches and get up to producing about uh, 60 barrels at a time to do like a four-turn, 15-barrel batch and, uh, or four 15-barrel turns to do a 60-barrel batch. And this whole wall here will be lined up with fermenters kind of like the ones we have over here. We do actually have a keg washer. We were manually washing all of our kegs at the, uh, at the restaurant in a prep sink uh, with a manifold that we had used and turning valves. Um, it would take us about, when it was all said and done to do 20 kegs, would take one person about 10 hours to do. And, uh, and it was also very wasteful as far as the amount of chemicals we were, we were using. So we have a two head uh, keg washer and this thing will wash. Um, when we're washing sixtals, we can do about 40 an hour. Uh, so now it's something that's mostly automated. So one person can be brewing or um, CIP and cleaning a, a, a tank and actually be at the same time washing kegs. And when it beeps, you come over, reset the alarm, put, put more kegs on and get, keep going. So this is our, our cellar space right now. Uh, where we have all of our ferment, fermenters and our bright tank. There's Dan, our head brewer. Uh, he's cleaning the tank and kegging beer right now. Uh, these are currently what we use for glycol chillers. So these are the Latina tanks that I was talking about, these uh, Croatian-made white wine fermenters. Uh, and um, one of the other challenges with them, with them is the geometry of the tanks. They're very tall and skinny, uh, whereas the, the bright tank on the end where we really clarify the beer. We don't filter any of our beer. Um, basically, it takes time and gravity. And so with the shorter squatter tank, there's less distance for the proteins that have uh, coagulated and, and other bits of tube or even yeast, less distance for them to settle out and clear the beer up. Uh, so, so that's another challenge of the Latinas. So those are the ones we started with. And then this is our 15 barrel fermenter that we currently still brew on our seven barrel brew house from, that we were using in the restaurant. So this takes two turns to fill it up. So um, about 20 hours for us to, to fill this up. And, and this is actually made for making beer and it's a, an absolute dream to brew on. And, and these bright tanks, these tanks here, these are the ones that were in the kitchen, right? Yes, they were, they were in the kitchen along with the brew house and uh, incredibly tight quarters, everything getting eventually coated with, with grease from the kitchen, <laughs> from just the smoke in the air from grilling burgers and things like that. Uh, so Yeah, I, I know when you're brewing beer, you know, cleanliness is a, is a big deal and keeping Absolutely. things sanitized. How hard was it in that space, not only to control temperature, but to just keep things clean? Absolutely. The, the outside of the tanks was a, is a constant effort. The, uh, the inside of the tanks were always closed is closed process for for brewing so um, we weren't typically doing our mashes which were open when the kitchen was open or, or operating and then um, and then once then everything's closed up and sealed and sanitary but the outside of these tanks would get pretty gross oh and also we just walked right past it this is part of our uh, quality control lab 
which is also very frank and brew. We use uh, like jewelry, ultrasonic jewelry cleaners for an ultrasonic bath for degassing samples. And uh, so this is yeah our, our quality control lab where we, we actually do uh, readings on our beer, measure the, uh, the density of the product and the pH of it at least every single day for every beer. Uh, so if we have five beers going, that's, that's five beers to, to do that with every day. Um, and then this is just kind of a break room. And the brewer's office, which is still a mess in progress. And there's our, our microbiology lab is in here. <laughs> so we actually do um, uh, cell counts and yeast viability testing uh, before every batch of beer to make sure that we're pitching the right amount of yeast and that the yeast are happy and healthy. Uh, something that a lot of small brewers don't focus on when they first get started, but it's one thing that Tom Hennessy really, really preached to us. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think I've heard a lot of, of smaller operations taking the time to, to track those things. Um, part of it, this goes back to the, the lagers that we're producing, that we produce a, a Helles lager and a, a North German-style Pilsner and a Dortmunder and a light American lager. Those are beers that we have to stay focused as, as, uh, as focused as we can on quality. And so being able to analyze that and being able to have records of it and see when a batch of beer um, isn't behaving the way it has before to actually go back and be able to compare records and know if it's a beer that we're going to need to either do something different with or, or have to pour it on the drain. And that always hurts, but we've had to do it several times, pour an entire batch of beer down the drain, and you're just literally watching, not literally, figuratively watching uh, uh, dollar signs just pour down the drain. Mm -hmm. uh, and it hurts, but you have to, have to do that. So in between all of this brewing in a restaurant and then moving to a separate brewing facility was a run at self-distribution. Initially, we did self-distribution. And even as small as we are and only having like three or four um, off-site draft accounts, we found just being stretched so thin and not being able to give those accounts the attention they deserve. And that's when we started talking with, with Bud and Mike at Atlas. And, um, and we started working with Atlas. And so we instantly saw the benefits of, of that, of having um, a, a bigger, more experienced sales force and and people who are able to give the attention that the the draft accounts deserve um so we instantly saw that and then we saw the started seeing the benefits that we weren't expecting so we were you know young ignorant didn't know much <laughs> and starting to see things like like help with um with publicity help with uh getting us into events that we hadn't been a part of like Bontab Oktoberfest at binder park zoo and also, just seeing the absolute uh, joy of an experience a festival is when you have somebody else doing all the work for you is really, really awesome because those festivals get exhausting. And, uh, and so that was huge as well, too. One of the ways that, that Atlas was such a, a great choice for us is that Atlas's footprint is uh, relatively small compared to a lot of the, the bigger um, distributors out there. And that fits well with, with our vision for growth uh, we always say we're going to focus local first and get it right and go more for, for deeper roots rather than broader coverage as far as our distribution model goes. And so Atlas really fits in well with that, covers 
um, almost the entire area of where we're actually interested in distributing our beer at all right now because um, we're limited as far as what we can do and Atlas is extremely patient with us as far as that goes too. That there's times where we just don't have beer to put out uh, for an off-site account because we need to have it in our tap room as well. The building that they're in, where their pub is, um, have been a couple different pizza places and we've seen them open and close and uh, one day we were driving down the road and we saw a sign that said Territorial Brewing Company coming soon. So. Um, came back here we grabbed our stuff and we headed right down there and they had literally just um, got the keys to the building and it was um, it was a mess inside and it was Tim and Charles and they were getting things around where they're gonna plan what and we introduced ourselves uh, we talked a little bit about what they were uh, what their plans were um, told them about us and said you know I know you're not ready right now and it probably will be a while before you are ready but we would love to partner up um, it's very important to us to have a, a hyper local um, partner um, and it's great. I mean, they're less than a mile from our warehouse, so um, they're great to work with. That, by the way, is... Mike Hall. Um, I have many different titles. One of them is uh, Craft Brand Manager here at Atlas Sales. Oh, and you'll also hear from... Bud Dunn, Vice President of Atlas Sales. How have their beers been received in the market outside of their tap room? Very well. Um, they do you know, the German-style lagers. There's not a lot of people that are doing German-style lagers, so there is a niche market for that. Um, and they make quality products, so um, everybody's familiar with them. Around here, at least in the Battle Creek area, they've been to the pub, they've sampled their beers. Um, so it's usually a pretty easy sell-in for us. And then once we do get it in, um, it goes over very well. The game is crazy right now. There are a lot of beers to choose from. There are a lot of Michigan breweries for account owners to choose from. So to have a lager um, in your playbook to go in there and say, I've got this locally made, clean, refreshing lager. Um, it's, it's something that not a lot of people can offer. Um, you know, you walk in and any account could have six IPAs on tap. Um, so an IPA is hard to sell in, especially where we're located here in Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, we call it the triangle of, of good Michigan IPAs. Um, so yeah, to have that to have that lager in your back pocket as a sell-in is always good. And ales as a style have been really well developed in the craft space. And lagers as a style are have just the depth of interesting opportunities for the marketplace as ales have. They just don't have as many people that are experiencing the variety that lager has to offer for the market as much as ales do. And a lot of that has to do with the capital constraints of how big a brewery needs to be to handle and house, ferment a 30-day lager versus an ale that can take anywhere between 8 to 12 to 15 days. It's just a lot more capital expense on the brewery side. And if Mike and Bud had to pick a favorite territorial beer? I'm a sour fan. Um, I really like sour beers, so their Goza like Swayze is probably one of my personal favorites. Um, and when they first started up, they really wanted a beer that was their go-to beer, their flagship. Um, tossed a few around, and you know it always came back to the big yellow truck, um, and that that has stuck around. It's been their number one, and uh, like we all kind of said, it's not up to them to choose what their flagship beer is. It's it's the consumer. Um, and that has just overwhelmingly been the favorite. So that one is always on tap down there. Yeah, how about you, Bob? I love their Groza like Swayze as well. It's one of those, you know, unforeseen or unknown about styles for much of the marketplace. And it's easy drinking, great summer beer, um, great warm lawnmower kind of a 
kind of a beer and it's super friendly to drink that not very many people know about. You talked a little bit about, you know, some of the new equipment and, you know, moving things around in here. What does the next, like, three to five years look like for you guys? What What's in the plans? Well, the plans are by the end of this year to add more fermentation capacity. Um, hopefully by the end of this year we'll add two more 15-barrel fermenters. And then, um, and then next year add, uh, add one more and then we'll be... Finally, getting rid of the Latina tanks, the, the Croatian-made white wine fermenters, and using more beer equipment. Uh, once we get rid of those, uh, then the plan is to expand the brew house and start brewing into 30-barrel fermenters, and then eventually some 60-barrel fermenters as well. So the four 15-barrel uh, fermenters that we'll, we'll have um, after next year will be with us for, for the long haul. And then this space in here is going to be more for receiving raw materials. And this will also be, um, we'll be switching over to steam instead of direct fired equipment. And so this room will house our, our mill. There'll be a mill room in here and then also a, a boiler room for our steam boiler. So there you have it, the backstory of the lager-loving owners of Territorial Brewing Company and the key role their distribution partner, Atlas Sales, played growing their brand, one tap handle at a time. This has been the Hop and Vinecast. I'm Ryan Hermes. Thanks for listening.